the definition of a cult film can be given by each individual who watches the film. A great movie that the masses just kind of miss. Biker films. Polizia Tece. Cheerleader movie. Giallos. Martial art films. Nunsploitation. Vasectomy the movie. A delicate matter. Terrible things happen here. Terrible things. Corruption. Tulane Blacktop. Easy Rider. Brain damage. Savage Sisters. I spit on your grave. Phantom of the Paradise. Muriel's Wedding. 2019 after the fall of New York. Twisted Nerve. Maniac. Ice Pirates. Pieces. It's exactly what you think it is. Eaton Raoul. Pink Flamingos. Thriller. A Cruel Picture. In the Room. Office space. Now that I've gotten on the internet, I'd rather be on my computer than doing just about anything. No, it's actually really easy. It's just hard to get anyone to care about it. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. We we'll care about it in ten years. We'll care about it now. Oh, just in time for the Blu-ray release. You're thinking ahead. All right, ten years. That would be that would suck. <laughs> <laughs> the four K, the eight K, whatever they're doing in ten years. <laughs> it would also probably go against everything that the movie's about too, because it's like. Ten years from now, there should be something completely different. We shouldn't still be talking about Blu-ray. <laughs> Laser disc will come back. They just beam it right into the back of your head. Watch it on the back of your eyelids. After you've worn those Google Google glasses for a thousand hours, the hooks come out. <laughs> <laughs>
Are those still a thing? I don't know. I remember it was like a big deal, and then I heard nothing about it. I think they're porn, from what I hear. <laughs> I heard somebody that's, talking about that. That's probably the way they're gonna go. Is VR? That's what, that's what all the yeah. That's what all the VR stuff is now. The porn and horror video games, I guess. Seriously, it's another Psycho Semantic cast. Today's a little special one. We got Bill Fulkerson, half of the directing duo of Survival of the Film Freaks. It's not the survival, it's just survival of the film freaks, right? Yeah, it's just survival, but whatever. Is it just misfits or is it the misfits? Yeah. The descendants? They turn up different pictures when I look for it on Spotify. They do, this is true. But I wanted to use your professional name instead of OTC Bill. Yeah, yeah, there's that too, but that's whatever. The Dying name. very slow death. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I caught uh, your last episode about expectations well that wasn't what the whole episode was but i liked what you said about expectations going into movies it's true though right man people ruin everything before you get a chance to see it i think the first time i thought about that was when my bass player told me that freddy versus jason is the best from either franchise well, that guy's an idiot we kicked him out of the band later but not not for that but, but good that... no it should have been for that you've been like you know man we can't trust you enjoying the scene get on with it i've got some questions i've got some official questions cool i can answer questions wonderful about lots of things not even necessarily <laughs> the movie or, or my podcast hell yeah man I, i'm usually pretty free flow i think my interview training was from a mixture of journalism classes and folklore so i gotta get to the point but i want to be folksy about it that's fine if there's one thing that i love it is the sound of my own voice. <laughs> so I have no problem talking incessantly about things that, whether I know about them or not, I will continue to speak about them. Wonderful. And, but you know a fuckload about cult cinema. You are where I check first when I'm trying to find... I, I, I wouldn't really say that I know a lot about it. I mean, I'm more in the Myra Breckenridge, John Waters movies. I mean, that's all part of it. Yeah. I mean, I would say that I know all, I mean, like, I have a, I feel like I have a decent knowledge, but I mean, there's people that put me to shame, and then there's people that put those people to shame. The level of depth that people get in their, you know, not even necessarily just cult movie knowledge, just movie knowledge in general, I can't keep people's names straight, I can't, you know, when people bring up directors, it's like, yeah, I can remember, like, big stuff, but it's like, I can't, it's just, it's too much, there's too much, it's like, everyone, I feel like you have to kind of pick your niche, and kind of, like, go with that. Otherwise, it's just like it's this rabbit hole that you will never come out of once you go down it. And that's kind of cool. It's like specialists. Uh, speaking of the online world, it's like picking who to be on your campaign when you're watching Tetsuo or exactly. <laughs> shit like that. Absolutely. I'm trying to remember the first time I noticed you talking about making this movie. It's been, what, two years? Two years uh, going? Yeah, I'd say it's um, I think we announced it initially in like may or june of 2016 so the idea for it and the decision that we were going to make it we did probably a couple months before that kyle and i kyle my co kyle cooked my co my co-director we talked about it in probably that spring and then you know made sure that we thought that we could actually do it before we made an announcement on it. And for me, actually announcing that we were doing it was kind of like the, okay, that'll make me do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I'm a big one, and I do this on my podcast all the time, where I, I make these announcements about, hey, we're going to do this, so we're going to do this, and then never fucking follow up on it. 
So it's like the type of thing where I'm like, okay, no, I have to do this. So yeah, we, it's been a little, yeah, like two, two years and change, uh, which I'm actually quite, you know, impressed with the turnaround on it. So because making a documentary, you can end up being like, you know, five, six, seven years. I have friends that have been making the same documentary now for, you know, eight or nine years. And it started as one thing and then it became something else. And then it morphed, you know, morphed itself into something else. And, you know, you're eight years down the road and you still don't have a movie. So it's like I wanted to hold, you know, myself and Kyle to a real level of we want to have this done in a year and a half and have it out for people to see, you know, as close to after that as possible. So we we did a pretty good job actually holding that. So, you know. It's an achievement in just getting it done, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of shit like that dies on the vine, especially passion projects. Yeah, and in this world of, like, Kickstarter and GoFundMe and Indiegogo and all of these places where you can go out and try to finance a movie, you know, basically just based on an idea with no plan or anything like that, so much of that stuff fails. I mean, there's a lot of amazing stuff that does, you know, that does get made through that, but there's so much stuff that people will do a Kickstarter and, you know, people get excited about the idea because it's a great idea and they, you know, you're able to source, you know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 from people and then you just never make the movie for one reason or another. Like, I know I can think of there's a great hardcore documentary these guys were making and i don't remember exactly how much they got and they did a kickstarter and they got like i don't know like five six thousand dollars enough money to like and they said that like they had it all filmed already and now it's like four years later and there's still no talk of the movie and like everything has gone silent so we didn't want to let anyone down so we didn't we self-financed and and we also you know we didn't do any type of crowdfunding either so we wanted to make sure that you know, if something got jacked up, it was on us and we weren't, you know, screwing somebody else out of something, you know? Yeah. And I, I checked because I I thought I was went into my email to check and see how much I donated to the movie. And I was feeling like a horrible <laughs> friend because I was like, I no, didn't no. give any shit. No, Buy a T-shirt. That's all you got to <laughs> Uh, you said this this was back in the that summer. Was that right before the Fabrizio incident or was this after that? I don't necessarily need you to get talking uh, about uh, that again, because I'm sure you're asked a million times about that. <laughs> no, I mean, I used to get asked about that a lot because that actually got a lot more legs than you would have ever expected. But this was post that. OK, uh, I think that was probably about a year or so before and that guy's still around, I guess. But like uh, everyone's got their opinion, man. And like in the world we live in with, you know, the fact that virtually anyone, if they want to make a movie, they can like and, you know, more power to you, like. Um, but not everyone's going to like what you do. So be prepared for somebody to, to tell you that they don't like it because that's that's part of the review process. If you don't want you don't want bad feedback, don't don't make a movie because not everyone's going to love it. Just like a podcaster, you know, when you're in a band, like, you know, if you put out your record and somebody doesn't like your record, like that's part of the deal. Learn how to take criticism. I was going to uh, liken that because I know we one of the things that we've we've discussed is our mutual past in music. Oh, yeah. What sort of similarities did you see? Because I always see a lot of similarities in doing podcasts. Oh, yeah. And, and playing a show or having a band. But I've never made a movie. I've I've helped people a little bit. But it's in that frame, man, though. Like, I'm I mean, my back, my background is I'm, I'm a hardcore guy, Um, you know, hardcore kid came up still straight edge after, you know, 20 something years. And like that was like that was my sweet spot. You know, the DIY hall shows, the VFW shows, the basement churches. So that's that was where my musical, you know, I don't I can't even say a career because I never made any money in music, but it was like it was what I did for years. 
So like, I definitely agree with you with the podcasting mindset of like, every time you do a podcast, it's like playing, you know, at, you know, like at our level is, is like, you know, you're playing a house, you know, playing a house party and like your 30 favorite friends show up every week. (laughs) It's like that type of level. Making a movie is in that world too, but it's almost kind of like you're that band that's used to playing basements or VFW halls. And then you get the opening slot on like, like a tour, like you shouldn't have no business being on. <laughs> like, so you're playing, it's like you get out there and you're like, um, you're like, it's like crazy hardcore band, you know, like, uh, uh, like 10 yard fight or like, you know, like one of those like classic hardcore bands and you're opening up for like disturbed <laughs> like, this really weird world for me. And it's been, and it's, I mean, I'm an, I'm an easy going dude and I can talk to anybody. And since the movie is a cult, you know, celebration, you know, it falls in line with a lot of horror movie stuff. So, you know, I've talked to a lot of horror movie fans and like I've gone to, you know, conventions over the years and stuff. And I'm like, I'm a normal dude. Like I'm in, you know, I'm in a band T-shirt and like, you know, cut off shorts and like vans. And there's like a dude dressed up as a nine foot predator standing behind me. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. You know, it's, you're saying handing out flyers like you would for like, you know, a show when you're doing it for the movie. And like somebody comes by, comes by dressed up as like Pennywise the Clown. And I'm just like kind of like weirded out by that because like, I'm like, this is my. It's not that it's not my crowd because that's like saying that just because you like ten yard fight doesn't mean that you can't like disturbed or vice versa, but like it's just a different world. So, I guess making a movie is kind of like that in terms of like I had no real exposure to movie making in any way. I mean, I had a lot of friends that had worked on a lot of amazing projects, and you know, working with Kyle, he you know he made a documentary a few years ago, and but it was still just this new world. And for the first you know four or five months of making it, I felt like a fraud because like I had no idea when you walk onto a set. I mean, it's a documentary, so it's a completely different story, but I didn't know shit about lighting, you know, like as far as the filming, like the process of, you know, oh, what lens are you using? You know, what, what frame rate are you, are we going to record at? And you know, like, well, you want to do this, you want to do this. I had no idea. So it took me a little while to kind of get the hang of it. But I think kind of coming from that music, independent music world definitely helps because you got your roll with the punches. Did you guys sort of take on the dichotomy of two different types of band members or you both kind of playing the same instrument? Kind of. I mean, I think a little of both. It's uh, since Kyle has a technical background, he went to he went to school for film. He went to Syracuse and, you know, he graduated from from there, you know, in film. So like his first documentary made this, made this documentary called Phantasm, which is uh, like an hour, like a little under an hour or so uh, documentary about horror movie conventions and kind of like the family aspect of them. And it's, re- it's really good if you can, I'm not sure where it's available right now, um, but if you can search it out, search it out because it actually it's where him and I met and it's also a really good little piece of, of documentary uh, underground film style. But like it was his, ma- it was his uh, film film thesis to to graduate from so he has like that technical know-how where it's kind of like he's the dude that kind of when you hit the studio he's doing all the work and i kind of come <laughs> in and just scream my balls out for like you know 45 minutes <laughs> he took all the technical stuff on where it's like you know he figured out what we you know what we were going to shoot on for a camera you know he made sure we got the right type of lighting he secured the space and i come in and i do the interview essentially which is obviously a big part of the documentary you don't have a good interview you don't have the stuff you need and then when you go to edit at the end of the day you don't have the right stuff so yeah he's the tech guy and i was the mouth i guess is kind of really the best way to look at it obviously as you know we went on just like you would in a band you pick up other things like you start to know stuff you know like you start to learn a little bit about, you know, cameras and shooting and, you know, angles and that stuff. So by the end of the by the end of the tour, you're able to help out with all the other stuff. Speaking of the, the process, 
I don't know. I don't know if you want to give this away because you haven't had the premiere yet. But like, who was your first interview, and did you start locally, or did you start with something that you were planning on going to anyway, or how'd you get uh, the ball rolling that way? Yeah, that's actually surprisingly enough. I don't know if anyone else finds it funny. I find it hilarious. First interview out in Los Angeles was with Ted Raimi. So the first interview for the movie that I've never I've never tried to make a movie in my life, I walk onto set and we have Ted Raimi in on the first day. <laughs> my life's so, wife's in love with him. Oh, he's awesome. He's his interview is 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 great. He's an incredibly nice guy. Batshit insane, but just like rad dude. And so, you know, we kind of figured out time periods and then you know we started making calls started sending emails and it's you know when you're a small production it's really tough to kind of get like you know in my mind what would be a-list talent like to me like ted ramey is a-list talent i don't know what you know they the over you know the overall expectation for someone like him is he's he's kind of you know he's considered a cult movie actor but to me he's like ted ramey is just as important as you know a, a brad pitt or somebody so we just started making calls and it was like, you know, we got a lot of, a lot of people that just didn't respond. And then, you know, we got people that, you know, wanted outrageous amounts of money. And then we got people that were like super excited and just wanted to be part of the project. And Ted Ramey, you know, was like, this sounds really interesting to me. You know, I, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do it. So we kind of built our first set of interviews around him and the date that he wanted to do. And we were able to get, you know, like a couple, you know, one of the guys that works over at Scream Factory and, you know, my buddy Jack Bennett, who's directed a couple of videos for Anthrax and, like all of these kind of just like, you know, people in that area. So we go in on the first day, we get everything set up and, you know, Ted Ramey comes walking in and we sit down and we just go to it. But I made a realization very quickly that, you know, Ted Ramey's still just a dude. Yeah. He's in, you know, a ton of my favorite movies and he's super recognizable to me. And like, he's one of those guys that like, I really look up to, but like, he's still just a guy just like us, loves movies, wants to talk about them, is enjoying talking about them. So it made it very easy because he kind of he was one of the biggest names in the film, but he was able to put us at ease right off the bat and understand that we knew what we were talking about, so we should be fine. After you did a couple interviews with a couple people, did word of mouth help you out? Not Just all really. legwork? Yeah, it was all legwork. It's the type of thing where, like, you know, we got a few people because, you know, we know this person and then that and we talked to that person. They know this person. So we got a couple of things that way because we only filmed at one convention um, and that was up at Rock and Shock here in Massachusetts. Um, and that's with the the interviews we did there. We did with um, Karano Misataki, who directed Karate Kill and Gunwoman. And then we talked to the guy, a couple of the guys from Trick or Treat Radio and James Balsamo, who runs Acid Bath Pictures. But everything else we did either in home with somebody or we had a studio space that we were renting uh, out of L.A. that we were able to use. So we didn't re – and everything was kind of you know, clustered together. So like we went to L.A. once and we did like a bunch of interviews in L.A. And then Kyle – because at the time, the, the thing was I was living in, in Boston and Kyle was living in L.A., so it was the type of thing where it's like we're trying to do it cross country. So I flew it to Kyle and we did a bunch of stuff. And then Kyle flew here and we went to New York and then we did a couple of things in Boston and then he flew back home. And then I flew back to L.A. and we did another round of interviews in L.A. And then I flew back home and then we flew to Vegas. I flew to Vegas. He drove to Vegas. We did a couple of things in Vegas <laughs> and it was kind of like one of those things. And we had to go back to New York afterwards. So the film was like there was a ton of travel involved and it was like almost all cross country stuff. So it was the type of thing where we just kind of had to try to cluster stuff as much as possible. It's like, Oh, okay, great. You know, we got an interview with, uh, Lloyd Kaufman in New York on this date. What else can we book around that? And, uh, it all worked out because 
we only had to actually, you know, kibosh a couple of names that we just, it just wasn't going to be like, we can't, I can't pay to fly out to LA for one interview. You know, it's, it's like, it's not that, it's not that somebody isn't worth it because everybody is worth their time, but financially it has to be worth it too, especially when you do yourself producing everything. So yeah, yeah, you don't have the luxury of that question, man. I kind of went off on a tangent there. No worries. No worries. Uh, tangents, about, this will be one of the least tangent, tangential. I think that's the right word. Tangential. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Talks on this show. There's so many tangents. Dude, you, come on, you know me. I'm the king of the tangents. <laughs> but you, you don't have the luxury of spending money you don't have. This is true. We were really lucky, though, because we had one person that was willing to help finance some stuff. Um, and uh, otherwise, we would never have been able to make the movie. And he's one of our executive producers, too. So it was one of those things where it was um, it was kind of a godsend. And it dates back to OTC. He was a big, he's a big fan of OTC. So it was one of those things where it was like, hey, you're making this movie. I want to be able to help. Um, and he's like, I have some, like, you know, I have a, not a lot, but, you know, I have, I, have, I have some cash that I can kick you to help you guys get started and kind of work through it so um he was a blessing and you know, well not even disguised it was a blessing that we were able to have him because he was definitely able to get us um you know get us going and once we kind of really got going that was when you know we hit the stride and we knew that we were going to be able to actually do this do you want to give them a shout out so reverend scott doesn't claim credit because he hears <laughs> no, this it. well, it's, our buddy, it's our buddy donnie so um <laughs> He uh, he's been an OTC fan for for many many years, and he's uh, he's helped out to OTC in the past when we've needed it too. So he's just one of those guys that like he very much appreciates the hard work that goes. And you know yourself, like doing a you know doing a DIY podcast, like there's a lot of work that goes into these things. And I think people don't realize it because it's disseminated for free on the internet. That you know, yeah, you still got to pay for hosting and like, and we you know I, I know we're kind of going off on OTC stuff here, but like you know we for many years were on different networks and stuff and we had all our hosting paid for and then we got burned a couple times and we're basically just like listen we need to do this on our own because I don't want to get burned again I don't want I don't want to lose our entire archives because a company gets sold or you know a company decides to change the way they're doing things so um it's nice to know that you have people like you know like Donnie and then even like yourself man because you've been a supporter of OTC for a number of years now too like knowing that people care about you enough to make sure that the product keeps coming. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's like, it's like that hardcore punk rock community where, you know, everyone's trying to take care of each other and then make sure that everyone is still able to operate in the way that they want to operate without, you know, going broke in the process. Yeah. Just need that gas money to get to the next town, man. Seriously. It's like, how am I going to pay for my hosting next month? <laughs> Buy some merch. Seriously. Bands Buy live off merch. Buy that $20 t-shirt that I get a $4 cut of. <laughs> got some friends so yeah i mean that i guess that's another good thing about making it the independent film is that you know you're driving the car yeah yeah and nobody's telling telling you that you have to go to wherever and, and that that's the bonus i guess but i don't think we've said this yet but the movie premieres on sunday august 26th yep 11 a.m 11 a.m. in Indianapolis at The Horror Hound. The Horror Hound Weekend Film Festival. Yes. The H2, uh, <laughs> hashtag H2F2 Festival. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, um, it's the first film on the final day of the con, which I think, I think is actually a pretty good spot for it, to be honest, because I feel like after two or three days of walking the convention floor, people want to ease into the day a little bit rather than uh, 
you know, stand in line for, you know, six or seven hours to just meet people or whatever. But, um, yeah, we're super excited. Uh, I know Kyle's last documentary played at Horror Hound a few years ago. So, uh, it's nice that he, you know, is going back into a convention that he knows and me as a first time filmmaker, uh, going into one of the largest, I don't know if it's, I think, I feel like Horror Hound has got to be the biggest one in the country now. They don't say that it is, but I don't know what's, what's bigger than, than Horror Hound at this point. Yeah. I can't think of one that specify like that i mean there's dragon con and all that other shit but that's not but for the, the cult people. and those aren't horror con- on horror conventions either so yeah uh i mean i feel like they say it they always say one of the, the you know the biggest in the midwest but like i mean i guess if you're going counting against like like comic-con and stuff like that but like as far as horror festivals um and horror conventions it, i mean horror hound is 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 the one that's the one you want to be part of. That's the one. If you're a vendor, you want to vend at that. You want to show your movie at that. You want to attend that. It's the, it's the WrestleMania of, of horror conventions. So we're really uh, very excited and honored to be able to be, you know, say we're an official selection for the horror film film festival. Uh, and you know, we're premiering alongside a bunch of other great flicks, nothing that I've seen yet, except that they're doing a 20th or 25th anniversary of uh, Jason goes to hell screening. Um, but I haven't gotten a chance to see a lot of the other films because they're fresh movies. One of the fun, funny things I always seem to see with film festivals is you start to see the same movies over and over and over again. And then there's like, they'll play ones that's already out on, on demand, or you can already download it from iTunes or Amazon or whatever. And it's still playing in festivals. So, uh, Harhound is definitely like a film festival that's got a bunch of new stuff. There's like four, like three or four, and maybe even five, I think actually I'm thinking about world premieres that are going to premiere at Harhound. So to be in with the, you know, a class like that is really awesome. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. So hopefully we get a good turnout for the screening. The last, uh, now the last horror hound that I went to was in Columbus, but there was a good, good crowd for the Sunday morning screenings. Uh, I, I think your, your theory should hold true. I just can't wait to see it. I, I I know that we we get along, but seriously, I don't know if I can kiss your ass enough from the clips I've seen of this movie. I've been so stoked about it. Well, I'll get you a, I'll get you one of the review copies as soon as we have them. Oh, cool! Thanks. Have you talked to Court? He's been pretty excited to try to work something together with getting. I haven't. Him. I mean, I know he told me he definitely wants to do something. I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet, though. So, um. I like Court a lot. He's another another one like yourself that's been a supporter of us for a while, and he's a good dude. So I wanna, I'm excited to to be on a show to talk about the movie. So he and I met during one of your broadcasts, actually. Excellent. Was it a Halloween throwdown? That's the one that brings everyone together. I think it was. Nice. He Which wasn't I don't know sure. What I'm gonna do this year? I I know. I mean, it's the Halloween throwdowns are our yearly streaming event that we do for outside of cinema. But I'm looking at my calendar, and I'm like, we've got October. It's usually the Saturday before. Halloween this year would be the 27th, but potentially we have a, a, a film festival that weekend. So October is an extremely busy month. We already have two screenings set up for October with two potential more. So potentially I'm going to be gone every weekend. So I got to figure it out. Oh, uh, you know, uh, that that's for the, well, that's for everybody, but that's really for you and the diehard fans and the diehard fans would understand. Yeah, but I, I don't want to miss it, man. This would be the ninth annual. Oh, yeah. I'll figure it out. That's totally <laughs> nothing to do with what we're talking about, but well, you probably play some of the movies that might get talked about in your movie. Um, yeah, there's more than a few. Where did you really get started realizing that you were down with the cult cinema? Like, what, what was your specialty when you started before you knew uh, everything? 
I mean, it was pretty early on for me. I always, ever since I was a kid, was always like enthralled by like weird and, you know, like extreme films. I mean, my movie going like stuff started with my dad where he would rent videotapes and then he, we had the two VCRs and he would, he had the, the, the quote unquote, the dubbing cables where you would put them together and you could record one, play one on one film and then record it onto a blank tape on the other. So he used to do the, like the three furs where he would put three movies on one tape, you know, recorded at SLP. So the quality was like shit, but at the time <laughs> thought it was awesome. And some of my earliest memories is, is watching horror. He, I don't even know why my dad doesn't even like horror movies, but like he would dub, like he dubbed the two that I remember watching so many times was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and then Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter. Uh, so those two were like the films that got me into horror movies. Uh, and I still remember watching, and I think I actually talked about it on, I think it was a court, I think it was court show. We were talking about Porky's 2, The Revenge. I think, I think that was, I remember hearing you talk about. Or, or the Porky's 2, whatever the second Porky's movie was, Porky's the next day or whatever. Um, and always watching the final five minutes of that because I would fast forward through it to get to to get to Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, which was <laughs> was taped immediately after that. But that in turn also then got me into more kind of like cult comedies and stuff. And I was like eight nine years old, so like I had I had no idea what the hell I was watching. I had I, I, all I knew was I liked it. So as I got older, you know, into high in junior high and high school, we anytime there was a half day of school, me and a bunch of my friends would ride our bikes down to. I remember the video store was called Gold Star Video. It was on Route One in Raleigh, Massachusetts. And they had a pretty decent horror movie selection. And we would just – we did the – you know, you'd rent the, the box cart. If the box art looked cool, you'd rent it. And then one day we rented I Spit on Your Grave. And I, think, <laughs> I think we're 12 or 13 years old because the cover of you know, it's this girl's ass hanging out. She's got a knife and the tagline on it was like, you know, this woman just killed six men. What's it? Yeah, six men or whatever it is and not a, not a jury in the country would convict her. And I was like, yo, we got to watch this. So me and uh, like three or four friends, we got home and we popped it in and like we had no idea what we were in for with that movie. But I was fascinated by it because it's um, – It's Been In Your Grave is like probably the best example of like exploitation horror at its like worst. And, and by worst, I mean like most extreme. You know, like six or seven rape scenes and you know people getting their, their dicks chopped off and just like all kinds of – mayhem and you know 12 year old me is watching this being like what the hell is going on what what you know what did i come across it felt dangerous you know it was like i didn't i didn't i didn't i'm like i just thought it was another horror movie but i had never been affected by a movie like that so that film holds like this weird sort of dear place in my heart as like my real introduction to what would become a love of cult cinema later on yeah that's that's a really good example of a film and yeah the uh, that's one of the things that i really like about the premise of your movie is that so many people don't have that going in and oh my god that 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 video that vhs box is a hologram and some are winners and some are fucking turds uh, and it's just the experience of going to i forget what you called that what you said that place was on gold star video route one rally massachusetts it's now a um like a, like a sewing shop, or like a sewing supply shop or something random, which actually sounds, you know, it's still pretty cool because it's not like a Target. But like, <laughs> right. Yeah, they, they were they were many, many. Every time there was a half day, it was a 20 piece chicken McNugget, large fry, vanilla shake and a handful of fucking VHS horror movies. God, if I did that now, I'd have a heart attack. But still, like, 
you get the foundation rock hard and artery clogging. Seriously, man, it was it was the best. Some of my fondest memories are sitting in that dingy basement watching those movies, you know, all the Nightmare on Elm Streets, all the Friday the 13th. You know, I remember we watched Prison once and like uh, like I'm just like Shocker and like just all these fucking random horror movies that now like we kind of look at as these called classics. But at the time it was just something to do. And it's amazing how like such little things that you just like. Uh, something to do on the half day becomes, you know, later in life, you're just like, oh, man, like, man, that was the fucking shit. Like, it was so much fun. I just recently rewatched uh, Shocker. Oh, it's so bad, man. <laughs> terrible. Like, oh, that little girl limping. Oh, <laughs> it's so bad when you look back at it and you're just you realize that Wes Craven made it and you're like, oh, so like the studio was like, give us something like Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> but not Nightmare on Elm Street because it's the same fucking movie. If you think about it, it is Crazed Killer. Yep. Crazed Killer and Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street, he travels through people's dreams and kills people in their dreams. This guy travels through electricity and TV and kills people that way. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like the same thing, but it's just, it's, it's just this, it's, it's a fun ride, but it is, it is not good. It, it's more on his, uh, deadly friend spectrum. See, I think Deadly Friend's terrible. Like people will talk about that movie. We get into that in the documentary a lot too, where uh, people will talk about movies and they're like, people will champion stuff just as, for the sake of champion stuff, Cha- for sake of championing, champion. You know what I mean? Oh well, I discovered this. It's fucking terrible. But you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna tell everyone about how awesome it is. In the documentary, Jackson Stewart, uh, who was the director of Beyond the Gates, which is an excellent horror movie that came out last year, uh, talks about that pretty you know specifically and he calls out a couple movies and i won't give it away because i want you guys to watch the movie but you know he calls out like yeah i watched it you told me how amazing it was and it was terrible <laughs> so it's like why you you never you never know what's gonna hit and then people talk about it so it could take 20 years for your movie to be famous but you never know yeah i've gotten a little bit better at saying i really like this movie instead of this movie is really good and before riding the nostalgia train <laughs> like jumping off the cliff on the nostalgia train i try to go back and make sure i'm not just yeah shocker's right. amazing i mean you can enjoy the shit out of a terrible movie but like it's still a terrible movie yeah exactly like pieces i know you've you, that's pieces. that's gotta be, i think i saw that mentioned in the preview for your movie yep it's not a good movie, but it's a great movie. Oh, I love pieces. Yeah, it's it's very, you know, and it's like that movie was made by that specific director. Nobody else could make that movie. And if someone else tried to make that movie, it would never come across that way. And you see this a lot now with like remakes, whereas you have an amazing original movie and they decide to remake it. And I'm not necessarily I'm not one of those people that's really against remakes in general. That doesn't mean I like a lot of them, but like I understand their place. Uh, but like, you know, you have this movie that's just this like perfect encapsulation of the right timing the right director, the right screenwriter, you know, it was filmed in the right spot. And it just like, it comes across with this inherent, just like likability. Um, and then you try to recapture that later on. You have to understand, you know, like specific films have specific places. You know, you, you see it a lot with the remakes of stuff that's made from, um, foreign films. Like, uh, use Wreck for example. The original Wreck is one of, and in my opinion, like one of the best zombie flicks ever made. But the U.S. remake of Quarantine, despite almost being like a near like shot for shot remake in a lot of places with only you know minor changes, doesn't hit the same way because it's a different director, it's different actors, the look is just different enough, and it just doesn't 
fit the right way. But the original wreck, you know, made in Spain by the right directors with the right lead actress hits on all of those parts. So it's like sometimes it's going to work, sometimes it isn't. And not all remakes are bad, but like I think especially when you try to remake something from a foreign property, you lose a lot of what made that film so great in in the first place. Yeah, and different cultures have different roots of fear. I I think I remember seeing something about how in the UK, and I don't have a lot of movies to back this up, but I think in the UK versus USA, or not necessarily the UK, but more agrarian or spread out uh, cultures have more horror related to the city and more city-based people have stuff about being out in the middle of nowhere. No, it's true because you think of look at if you look at the UK, a lot of the stuff that's you know made obviously and produced in London, all of that stuff takes place out in the like the moors in these places where like you you know that's why like Hammer like everything takes place in a Gothic castle in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so it's like it's like it's maybe that fear of the unknown. Like you're so used to being crowded into a you know a tight city, but when you spread everything out, it gets scary because it's not what you're used to. That's one of the cool things about horror and cult horror. There's so much. There's always there's something for everybody. And there's always more of it. There's always more. Like, I've been doing my podcast for almost 11 years now. We cover two movies a week. We have an episode every single week. So it's like, you know, 52. So it's 104 movies on the average each year. Usually it ends up being a little more as we'll do, you know, extra stuff. But, like, we haven't even scratched, man. Like, there's, like, people are like, oh, you must be going to run out of movies at some point. I'm like, no, not even close. Like, (laughs) And every year there's more movies. So it's like never ends oh you know what i, I want to make a mention of when we're, since we're talking about differences with cultures and films and stuff it's probably the most glaring when you see the differences between you if you watch asian horror films and then you watch u.s horror films because so much especially in the in well i shouldn't especially but like i'm going to use the japanese culture as a good example so much of their horror is based on folklore and mythology and it's so inherently like ingrained in their culture there that that stuff is so much scarier to them than it is to you know people in the U.S. because we don't really have. I mean, there's a lot of religious people out there, and I'm not I'm not a religious person by any stretch of the imagination. But like, if you don't grow up with those beliefs, it just it affects you differently. But my, my wife's a big fan of Asian horror. There's a lot of it that's excellent. I mean, there's a lot of it that's bad still too. But like, I mean, just the the way that they present it, and they always make sure that they give the legends and the tales you know time to breathe. A lot of times, it's not. Nothing is usually like shoehorn. Like I can't think of one Asian horror movie I've ever seen where I was like, oh, yeah, the end of it and the explanation felt really shoehorned in. Like everything breathes in those stories. Doesn't mean it's good, but. Yeah, it's not Michael Bay explosion. It's it's Michael Bay presents <laughs> the ring. <laughs> Four hours long and you still don't get it. And stars washed up action stars. <laughs> Starring Jason Statham's stunt double. Yeah, seriously. The guy that's the stunt double for The Rock. <laughs> that tickled me, sorry. <laughs> All right. Actually, I actually met The Rock stunt, stunt double. It's his cousin, and they look exactly the same. He's a little really? bit Yeah. I feel have, like... He has the same tattoos and stuff, too, because he does so much, because he pretty much exclusively works with him. Okay, yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot <laughs> worse ways to go than just looking like The Rock. That's true. I know the, the definition of cult is relatively loose. Just like horror can be relatively loose. Did you come across any people that are adamant about strict guidelines? Uh, Surprisingly, no, because every I mean, 
everybody one of the the first question we asked in like, I think just about every single interview was like you know what you know when I say cult movies what do you think of you know I'd say half the people would give me you know they would think of specific titles and the other half would give like a definition and the definitions although you know there was some sway in a little bit uh, were all very similar everyone kind of looks at it in the same ways you know films that maybe didn't get the right type of love off of the first, you know, the first run of them that are then discovered after the fact and then build a following. Um, but surprisingly, we got a lot of people that were still like, you know, stuff like Star Wars is still it's still a cult movie. It's the biggest cult movie of all time. <laughs> but because it has that fever fan base, the fan base, I think, is really what decides how big of a film, a, you know, how big of a cult film something is like the. We and we steer clear from it quite, you know, purposely in in the in the in the doc. But you know, everyone brings up Rocky Horror Picture Show as like the definition of what a cult movie is, and it's very very true. But it's not the only definition of it. It's like yeah, that movie you know failed upon its initial release, but through the years and live screenings and you know home video releases and all that stuff, it's become this cult monster. But like you can have a film that you know nobody saw and like two or three people find and dig it up somewhere, whether they find it on the internet or they, you know, they, the, the video store is closing and they are like, Oh, what's this? And if those two people watch that movie and they love it and they just want people to know about it, that, then it's a cult movie. So it's the type of thing where like everything has a cult in some way, although there's no you know, right or wrong way to look at it, I guess. I like that answer. Some of them are like movies that you think that you've made up in your mind until you find somebody <laughs> that's seen it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the magic of the internet though. I mean, that's, you know, using OTC as an example, like I discovered that film Alabama's ghost, um, through OTC. Now it's become one of my favorite movies and I didn't know anybody that had ever heard of it. And I found that on like a random website. I think we were doing like a lot of black exploitation flicks and, uh, it was listed I'm like, Alabama's ghost. I'm like, I've never heard of this. And so I clicked on it and it was basically like the, you know, it's like, this is like the most batshit crazy movie I've ever seen. You know, it's only available on this Elvira thriller video, like currently. And, you know, I didn't know anyone that had ever seen it. I watched it and I loved it and then shared it with people. So it's like, that's like the whole kind of idea behind cult movies. It's all about sharing. So there's a lot of gray areas now, obviously in the world we live in with the internet, but like, I never would have even heard of that movie if it wasn't for the internet. Yeah. I, I, feels somewhat like it's replacing the the local late night tv show host though they're still around uh but that's how that's how i found out about a lot of cult movies i think you and i have talked about this oh yeah pre a little bit before i know you i did you interview joe bob briggs yes joe bob briggs is in is in the documentary yes and you know our local guy is fritz the night owl yep who's gonna be our hound is he going to be? Yeah, he's hosting a couple screenings, I think. Great. He he was at the last Horror Hound I was at. He still does appearances at theaters. There's a summer movie series at this old theater here in Columbus. And he hosted The Shining. I can't remember if it was last summer or this summer, but we definitely just went and saw him host uh, Fright Night. Oh, cool. I, I'm not a fan of Fright Night, but that's mm. that's a, still a cool, a cool uh, um, movie to have somebody host. And he did uh, the last horror hound. He hosted a screening of Trick or Treat, the the newer one, not the '80s one, which is awesome. They're both actually quite good. 
yeah, big fan of that one. I can't remember the name of the director. Speaking of some people are encyclopedias for names, but the director of the new Trick or Treats from Columbus. What's his name? Mike uh... Is it Doherty? Yeah, yeah. Michael Doherty, yeah. Well, Mike Doherty, if I'm not mistaken, he's doing that. He directed that Godzilla movie that's coming out, King of the Monsters. I think so. How insane is that? That he made Trick or Treat, which they didn't even want to release, and they just ended up dumping like three years after it was done made, is now directing the big budget Godzilla sequel. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like uh, maybe he'll be the new Sam Raimi. Or uh, not to replace Sam Raimi, but. No, but that's, I mean, you look at that said. That's the same way that he got through it. There's so much cool shit. I'm really happy that you have made this movie and I haven't even seen yet. Um, it's just well, like it. I mean, <laughs> not everyone's going to like it. Like I said earlier, like yeah. I am ready for people to not like it. There will be there. Yeah. You're going to have people writing you saying, I can't believe you didn't talk about this, even though you're interviewing other people. Yep. <laughs> And we made a real conscious effort too, man. Like we steered clear of talking about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's mentioned briefly. There's a quick clip in there, but like we, I mean, we all know, everyone knows, you know, like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Same thing, like the room, like that's the big one from the last few years. And it only comes up once, once in the movie. And we, we specifically cut that down because it's been the story of the last few years. I mean, for crying out loud, they made the disaster artist with, um, you know, all A-list actors. So I'm like, do I, do we really need to revisit this? <laughs> no, let's focus on the stuff and the reasoning for, uh, you know, the future stuff, not dwell on the stuff that everyone knows about. And yeah, like you're talking about with star Wars. I mean, at one point Catholicism was a cult. Still is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, shit. I'm a, I'm a reformed Catholic schoolboy. My priest hated kids. He just liked to steal money. Is that all he liked about kids? <laughs> just saying, there has been a precedent set. Right? Questions need to be asked. This is true. Living in Boston, believe me, it's like we were like the, I felt we were like the nuclear center for all of that a few years ago. I, we don't need to, I don't know why we're getting into that. Yeah. I, I, I think the, if you could do it over again, would you start differently is kind of a lame softball interview question. Uh, and I wouldn't. So <laughs> very ha I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with, with the job Kyle and I did on this. I was really kind of questioning myself through it. I was like, all right, great. You know, like I'm like, we're getting really good interview stuff. We got good people. You know, I'm very happy with what we have, but now we have to put the movie together. So I was still kind of questioning that and, Kyle ended up doing the editing on it and that wasn't the original plan. The original plan was we were going to kind of get the, get everything together, get a basic idea and then hire an editor to, to do it because editing a documentary is, is not, not an undertaking that you want that is taken lightly. Um, we have somewhere around 40 hours of interview footage and then I must've pulled another 30 hours of trailer footage. Cause what's kind of cool is in the film, all of the archival footage that we've used from films is from trailers. We didn't use any scenes or anything from the features themselves. We just took uh, trailers because, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of those old cult movies, the, the best part of them is the trailers. <laughs> so, you know, with 30 hours of trailers and 40 hours of interview footage and uh, Kyle was kind of like, you know, hey, um, well, I'm starting to pull some stuff together. And he's like, you know, what do you, you know, just kind of ideas. And so he started sending me stuff in chunks. It's like he created a chunk about the 70s. He created a chunk about the 80s, the 90s, you know, present times. And then, you know, like a whole section on the Internet. And he kind of sent them to me in like bits and pieces. And he was like, you know, tell me what you think. And I'm like, 
I'm like, this is good. I'm like, you do realize if you just put all of these together, it's the movie. So why are we going to hire another editor? You've already made the movie. So it was like a really kind of like nice thing to be like, oh shit. Yeah, this is real. And Kyle did an amazing job. I've said this already a hundred times and I will say it again. Every time I talk to somebody about the movie is that the, the job Kyle did on the editing is, is just, uh, is just awesome for somebody that wasn't even planning on editing himself. And he's a pretty good, he's, I think he doesn't give himself enough credit. I think he's a pretty good editor anyway, but just like the sheer mass of stuff that he had to wade through to kind of put together, he came out with a very concise story in the movie. And it's the story that we wanted to tell right from the beginning. We made sure that we planned everything out with outlines. You know, the interviews were done with like, this is what we want from each person. This is what we want from specifics. And we kind of laid it out and we were able to kind of keep to that outline rather than kind of going off into right field and ending up with something different, which made it, I think a lot, I say easy, but I don't mean easy in terms of like, it wasn't difficult to do, but it was easier to be able to kind of figure out exactly what was going to work and what wasn't going to work. Is there anything we haven't really touched on? I don't want to keep you all day. I'm kind of open to whatever. If I, it's not like it's a film that we can really spoil in terms of like, there's no, <laughs> there's no twist ending. Yeah. Spoiler alert. The film ends with us wondering what we're going to do for the future. So like, <laughs> Darren, I think one thing that we didn't touch on is, is, the educational part of the movie, because we really kind of focused in on that specifically in the final third. Cool. Yeah, please, please expand. Um, well, I mean, the movie's a love letter to cult films, but it's also an educational flick. And now I know when people say educational flick, I don't mean like, you know, something you're going to watch in a classroom or something like that. But we really wanted to make sure that we communicated you know, the changes through the systems and the way the cult films get to people. So especially with the internet stuff, we wanted to make sure that we were able to convey the point that as things change, they stay the same. It's just, you know, how you, how you receive your media is different now. And like, you know, a lot of people want to complain about piracy and, you know, downloading and all, everything has its place though. And there's no right or wrong answer. I mean, yeah, stealing movies on the internet and not, you know, taking care of the people that are putting them out is, is wrong. There's no, there's no question there, but there's a lot of gray areas that we wanted to kind of bring up in terms of like, you know, films that are no longer in print. And like the only way you can get something is finding a copy of the internet because it hasn't been released since like a Japanese laser disc in 1985 <laughs> or like, um, Another a thing that we didn't we, we touched on briefly, but is, is a thing that has kind of come up and is, is a you know, we've done some interviews and talked to some people is that is it fair to make people wait, you know, an awesome a perfect example I use. And I, I know I talk about the movie Wreck a lot, but Wreck came out in Spain in like 2000 and uh, 2008 or 2000 early 2009. It was released in Spain. Uh, it did very well. It played festivals all over the world and people raved about how awesome this, you know, totally putting the zombie, you know, movie in this new light. And people talked about it for, you know, how amazing it was as it played all these places. And then Sony bought the rights to it. I think it was Sony. And they decided, you know, we're going to do rather than release this because the American public doesn't want to watch subtitled movies. We're going to do a remake of it. And we're going to put the girl from Dexter in, and you know, it's so, it took, if I'm not mistaken, and don't quote my time, but it, like, it was like a two and a half, almost three year gap between Wreck you know, being released to you were able to get an actual US DVD or release of it um, because 
Sony bought the rights to it, so therefore it didn't get released here domestically. And then they wanted to wait until quarantine came out because they didn't want it, you know, people to watch Wreck and then skip on quarantine. <laughs> so it's like there's like is it you know there's this argument of like if I can't get a copy of it and it's we don't know when it's going to come out. When is the right, you know, what is right and what's wrong? If you want to, you know, a copy of it hits the internet and you want to watch it, like. Do you want to have – is it is it right that you should have to wait three years? And in this world where everything is available at the click of a mouse, I don't understand how companies can't just get their shit together and be like, well, it's doing really, really well. You know, We'll just put it up on demand and then you – know, but there's a lot of business stuff to it and I understand that idea. But like you got to figure out you know, what's the best way and what's, you know, what's going to help everybody out in the long run. I, I know loads of people that maybe went less than legit ways to watch the Poughkeepsie tapes and totally bought the Blu-ray as soon as it was available. Yeah, that's a, that's another perfect example. Martyrs is another really good example of that. Martyrs didn't get a good release in the U.S. It still hasn't really gotten a good release in the U.S. It got dumped on DVD like two years after it came out because – you know, the Weinsteins bought the remake rights to it. And then like the remake went into hell and then it, you know, it took the remake four or five years to come out. So they never got a really good version of it. Like, I think I have like a, a dimension DVD that's like bare bones with like nothing on it. And I, if I'm not mistaken, martyrs still does not have a U.S. Blu-ray release. The remake does <laughs> <laughs> that awful remake. It was terrible, but martyrs is one of my favorite horror movies of the last 10 years. But that remake that they made was just like it, it's we you know we talked about cultural differences. They chopped the balls off that remake, and it's just like almost like it's not it's rated R, but it like it feels like a PG thirteen movie in comparison to the original. Mm-hmm. I don't even think Gleaming the Cube doesn't even have a U.S. Blu-ray release as far. But as doesn't Brothers know. Justice? <laughs> that was the, that was the AKA name for it, right? Brothers Justice. I think so. <laughs> yeah, it's. it's it's weird waters. Where... Yeah, it's a lot of gray areas. That's that's like there's no right or wrong way, you know. Adam Green has got his his stance on piracy and like that's, you know, his mindset. But then, you know, we talked to Jackson Stewart, who's also, you know, an indie filmmaker who made a great indie film last year that did very well. Has a very different take on it. So it's the type of thing where and then you got someone like Lloyd Kaufman who's just like give everything away for free. <laughs> he makes the greatest point out of anyone. He made this quote in the movie and this is not really like ruining anything. But he says the most important thing anybody can give you in life is their time. So if they're going to take 90 minutes to watch your movie, he's like that's the most important part. It doesn't matter where they got it or where it came from. It's that they're giving you your time. You can't put a price on someone's time. That's I mean, that's my mindset of it. I mean, obviously, you know, we want to make money on it. But the reason we want to make money on it isn't because we want to get rich. I want to make money so I can make another one. Hell yeah. Have you started thinking about or are you not putting your uh, car before the horse? Kyle and I had Kyle and I had such a good time working together that we definitely want to do something else. And we have two we have two projects that are really kind of in the infantile writing status right now. But we're not going to move forward on anything until probably next year we want to we want to give this we want to give we've put so much time and effort into film freaks that we want to make sure that we give it it's due and we let it breathe and we hope that you know it'll get picked up somewhere um and then we can get that money to make the next project so we don't want to we don't want to rush into something else we want to enjoy this while we can yeah enjoy the view from the top of the hill before climbing the next mountain sort of sort of thing or 
Yeah, exactly. It's like you got to finish. You got to you got to finish this journey before you worry about the next one. It's like when using the band metaphor, you got to finish this tour before you start the next one. Can't play two gigs in one place in one night. <laughs> yeah, that's hard enough to play two gigs in one day. Right. Let alone in two different cities. <laughs> Did that once with the flu, but I was like 15 years younger. Can I get the flu now? I'm in bed for a week. Yeah. Like, oh, my wife, can you bring me some water? I I can't move. (laughs) Uh, The wonderful support of women in our life. I know without them, I'd be screwed. (laughs) You said you've got quite a few uh, appearances set up, especially in October. Yep. October is going to be a very busy month. The the stuff that we have confirmed that I can announce is obviously the world premiere at uh, Horror Hound, uh, August 26th at 11 a.m. in Indianapolis. Uh, and the other one will be the Massachusetts premiere at the, it's going to be at the Shauna Shea film festival, which is a friend of mine, uh, my friend Skip, who's an amazing filmmaker in his own right, does this festival every year and, uh, invited us to be part of it. So that's the 11th and 12th of October. It's the second, it's the second weekend in October. Um, and that'll be the, that'll be, um, potentially actually looking at it potentially could be the East coast premiere. And then there's a few, there's a few other things that are you know, working themselves out. I can't unfortunately mention any of them, but I will communicate them out when they are confirmed. Hell yeah. And there is a Facebook page for the movie by itself, but also the outside the cinema group will get the updates. Yep. I I try to disseminate that stuff everywhere. So, uh, survival of the film freaks has its Facebook page, which you can just search on there. And then our Twitter and Instagram are at film freaks movie. And then we also put all the stuff on the Outside the Cinema page, which is just facebook.outsidethecinema.com. And then my Instagram and Twitter are at OTC Bill. So once it goes out on one, we make sure it goes out everywhere. Survivalofthefilmfreaks.com. Yep. And the, which we don't really use a whole lot. I recommend the Facebook page because I built a site on Wix and I don't really know how to use it. So <laughs> I don't know how to use it either. It's the initial, <laughs> <laughs> the initial thing. I go in there and I log in and I'm like, how? What? I, I'm just going to go on to Facebook and do what they do here. <laughs> People don't go to websites anymore anyway. I know. I feel like I should probably just redirect the URL to Facebook, but then I'd have to figure out how to do that too. And I don't <laughs> <laughs> Got enough shit. I know, right? Too much, man. Too much. Too many places all doing the same thing. I don't think this movie can get enough atten- attention. Well, I hope so. I mean, I'm, we're really proud of it. We feel it's important in what it's what it's talking about and what's showing people. So if you're like a, a genre movie fan or a cult movie fan, it's important to kind of look at the way things are presented so that, you know, we continue to get cult films. Uh, because if you don't support that stuff and, you know, you snuff out these voices, they're not going to be able to make any more movies. It's like, it's easier, it's easier than ever now to make a movie. But like, do we really all want to be watching everyone that shot their film on on an iPhone with no budget. Like, yeah, that stuff's cool. I'm not, sh- I'm not shitting on that, but like we need to have a mix of stuff. We can't have just that. Cause all we'll have is micro filmmaking and then big budget filmmaking. And the middle is where it's at. Yeah. That's usually the best stuff, man. Thank you so much for giving me some of your Saturday morning. Oh, no problem, man. I got two other interviews scheduled today. You were the first one. So <laughs> glad I could. I was hoping that, uh, I got you before you got too booked up. Cause yeah, well, it's funny. It's funny, man, because like everybody was like, I say everybody. I'm not like, oh, well, I've got all those people knocking down my door, but like everyone wanted to book at like the same times. <laughs> so I was like, oh, so me and you set up. I think I set up with you either either first or second. So it was like, I'm like, yeah, man, no problem. And then like I had two other people that are like, oh, let's do like Saturday morning. I'm like, sorry, 
But I mean, it's 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 really weird to be on the other side of it. Real weird. <laughs> like being interviewed because I've done so many interviews over the years with other people. Like and then even like the like the doc itself. Like I mean, I feel like I'm a good interviewer. So like I I feel like I, I'm like yeah I'm like I'm good at this. So I'm like I'm totally at ease. But then I'm on the other side of it and I'm like I don't know about being interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> Did one the other night. I I, I must have asked the kid more questions than he asked me. Because I was just like, yeah, but what do you think about such and such? I'm a lot more comfortable asking the questions, too. Yeah, it's weird. It's just weird when you flip it. I don't know if you ever got interviewed by, like, a hardcore or a punk zine, but some of those questions make you take a couple seconds. Like, what the, what? I did, we we did a podcast, I mean, Kyle Kyle and I did one the other night that we were together, and... It was like a thing like that where it was like the host had like a list of 10 like bizarre questions. <laughs> Who would win in a fight? Gilbert was, Gottfried or Joe Bob Briggs? No, not even like that. It was like if you could choose one insect to be for a day, what would it be? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, ant? <laughs> Is ant the right answer? Is that right? <laughs> There are no wrong answers. There are no right answers in that. Yeah, question. it was it was weird. It was a cool interview, but it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know if you want to come back at some point, check in with you, and yeah, I'm always I'm always down to talk. You and Kyle Kuchta Kuch Kukta Kukta. He I had mentioned it to him. He work he works on Saturdays, so he's I know he's not around right now. Oh, right on. The only reason he's not here. That and I want all the glory. Hell yeah, uh, this will. This this will be out hopefully by Tuesday. Cool, and I'll I'll definitely let you know before oh, yeah, it comes absolutely. out. And all I mean, you stuff. still do a fair you still do a fair amount of editing on your stuff too, right? You don't usually just kind of like drop it. No, no, I I try to cut out extra ums and do some sound mixing and stuff like that. God bless you, man. I could ne- <laughs> never in a million years would I go back to doing that. <laughs> when I become more competent, I might, but. I try to make up for my lack of skill with patience and cutting. Nothing wrong with that. And I also <laughs> know that I said a lot of stuff tonight that really just does not matter. <laughs> I don't even remember what I said. If I talk bad shit on anyone, maybe cut that out. Wait till after the movie's out, then I'll come back and talk shit on people. <laughs> <laughs> now the gloves are off, motherfucker. Seriously. We're down to just the hand wraps. Dipped in glass like in Kickboxer. Dip- where else, what else are you gonna dip? I'm gonna dip my, what was it? Uh, gummy bears, hot, hot shots where he dips it in like the chocolate and then like in the gummy bears and like the is that hot shots. It's hot shots part de part de. Cause they gotta yeah. go find him in the jungle that time. But hell yeah, dude! Survival of the film freaks. If whenever you're listening to this, thank you very much. Check out Survival of the Film Freaks. I definitely can't recommend OTC outside the cinema enough and. Bill, thank you so much, dude. It was, it was... Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Until next time, don't forget to duck and cover. Michael Rennie was hailed at the Earth's still that it told us where we stand. Flash Gordon was there in silver underwear. Claude Rains was the invisible man. And something went wrong with This is how the message ran. 
Oh, I'm gonna go pee now. <laughs> <laughs>